Good evening, everybody. It was quite um, some intense worship there, and I trust that for those who needed to just have their spirits refreshed and those words heard, it was good for you. I wonder um, if you could imagine with me tonight that Jesus came to you and he said the following words. He looked you, walked right up to where you're seated, but you're just imagining, although he is here. Um, but he walks right up to you where you're seated. Let me get you into the space here. And he looks you right in the eye and he says to you, deny yourself. What happens in your mind and in your heart if Jesus comes to you and he says those words? Because these are words that he actually did say. We read them in Mark 38, and if you have it, Mark 38, well, that would be good. Mark chapter 8. Uh, if you have a device that can turn in your Bibles, unfortunately we can't put it up on the screens as a technical thing. Um, but if you can turn in your devices or your Bibles to Mark 38. Mark, Mark chapter 18 in and of itself is quite an interesting chapter because it kind of changes the direction in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, very much up until this point in the Gospel, there's been focus on the miracles of Jesus and the, power, the powerful things that he does and how he's master over nature and he's doing deliverance and he's healing people. And kind of as he gets, as he gets to the second part or second half of the chapter, Jesus changes tack. He starts going towards Jerusalem. He starts moving to Jerusalem. And then he asks his disciples this interesting question. Who do you say I am? And he's starting to engage with them on the basis of them, what we call today their messianic expectation. Who did they expect him to be? What did they want from Jesus? And then he starts uh, and he hears their response and Peter comes right out and he kind of nails it, gets it right for a change. And he, and he says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that God has sent to fix everything, to put things right. Now, when Peter said those words, he had quite a picture. He had a triumphalist picture, a picture that Jesus is going to come and he's going to kick out the Romans and he's going to sort everything that's wrong in the world out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Jesus starts teaching the disciples. And in one of the verses in Mark, it says that he starts speaking to them plainly. And he says, well, I'm paraphrasing hugely now. He says to them effectively, the picture you've got is wrong. I actually have to go to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to be handed over to the religious authorities and to the Romans. And they're actually going to kill me. And, and this is necessary to fulfill God's plan. This is not what they were expecting at all. In fact, it's so far outside of the paradigm that Peter actually calls Jesus aside. Because Peter, obviously, he's just had the revelation. And, and, you know, he's just declared the thing. And he calls Jesus aside and he starts rebuking Jesus, which is um, quite a thing to do, I would think. You've never rebuked Jesus, I assume. Okay. But he starts telling Jesus that this is not right what you're saying. This can't work this way. And then Jesus looks at Peter <laughs> and he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Now, if Jesus is calling you Satan, that's um, something that you, you know, it's going to hit home a little bit. And he says to him, because you're mindful of the things of men and not mindful of the things of God. You're missing God's agenda. And then we get to our text verse tonight, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. And I'll, I'll read it uh, as slowly and as clearly as I can in case you, you can't read it for yourselves in a device or something. Uh, or even like a hard copy app, like a Bible. Um, and Jesus then, he does something interesting. He, he calls 
the crowd and his disciples. Up until this point in this whole interaction I've described, it's really Jesus and Peter, and it's kind of the inner circle thing. Chapter 834, Jesus reads as follows. He says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. And he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, okay, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And then this paradoxical statement. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose, sorry, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We live in a culture, in a context, in particular if you're a 20-something in the room, this is much stronger for you because there's this bombardment that we constantly face from whatever, the media, the evil West, whatever you want to call it, the capitalists, Darwin, okay? Uh, I know. Um, that life is all about you. Life is about becoming the best you you can be. Life is about getting things. And you've only really arrived if you have this product. And you don't have to even wait for it. You can get it now. Just pay the interest and finance it. Everything we hear talks a lot about us. And Jesus comes to us and he says, deny yourself. Now it's important as we read this text that we notice a couple of things. First of all, this call of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It wasn't said to his inner circle. This wasn't for the, the gifted class. This wasn't for those who decided they're going to be serious about God. He calls the crowds. He calls everyone. So Jesus' audience is everyone. This call to deny ourselves is not for the super spiritual Christians or the members of the deep club. This call is for each of us, where Jesus says, come deny himself. The problem with these words, or the problem, the challenge, with these words, deny yourself, is we hear them within a certain framework. For most of us, we hear it as going against the grain of what's comfortable, going against the grain of everything we hear and that we're used to. But I want to talk about two lenses that also can, classify, can frame through which we can maybe hear these words. The first lens, and, and there will hopefully be able to be a slide if you can do it on us, it would be great, wonderful, is when we walk our Christian lives through a lens of legalism. We call it the walk of legalism. If, if you associate Christianity, maybe it's not you, maybe it's other people you've heard of, but Christianity is primarily about the do's and the don'ts. It's about the rules that you should obey, this things that Christians do and don't do. And so when you come to God, it's about getting things right. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, which you should do, but that's not how you win favor with God. But through the, the lens of legalism, it's about all the things you do. And so when you hear words like deny yourself, it's about doing things right. It's about getting things in order so that you can get to this place where you can deny yourself. In this framework, the provision I get, the things I need, are based on, you know, can I ask God for something? Well, have I been a good boy or girl this week? Sorry for the language, and I know you're not children. I'm just trying to illustrate. 
Have I done what God wants me to do this week? Can I then trust him for provision? Can I trust him to provide me that which I need to make it in life, even that which I might think I need to do more for him? The challenge with this view is that our identity, who am I, gets wrapped up in how, if we've done enough of the right stuff and we've been able to avoid the wrong things that we're not supposed to do. And identity gets based in our works, in the things we do for God even, the things we do in his name, and in what we think we've earned in that. And that, we think, then gives us acceptance. If we've done enough right things, then God will like us. This is the lens of legalism. And when we hear the words, deny yourself, and there's a legalistic framework in our minds about God and how we approach him, these words become about things we must do and mustn't do. I used to be quite legalistic. It was the 80s. You have to forgive me. It was, it was the time to be... But, but like one of the things that was going around at that stage, I think it was even into the early 90s, and I don't know, maybe in certain circles it's still a big deal. But almost the worst thing you could do if you were a young, you know, a Christian in your late teens, early 20s, the worst thing you could do almost was listen to rock music. Because, you know, it all came from the devil. And the, the drum beats were like, you know, Satan's music. You know, Satan played the drums in hell, and that's where it came from. Okay. <clears throat> And people had studied this out and they'd done, you know, all the roots. And, and so often when we engaged with people, it was about, well, if you want to be accepted by Jesus, listen to Amy Grant. <laughs> yeah, she was a Christian singer then. Okay, if you've anyone heard of her? Is there anyone yet ever heard of her? Okay, not bad. I'm impressed. This side of the room, you need to just broaden your repertoire a bit. Okay. <laughs> But the worst thing you could do is listen to this. And I remember I actually led a youth group. I'm so embarrassed by this and ashamed. And I really trust God makes up for it. But I taught them this. I taught them how bad rock and roll was. I really did. I'd like, I've got a great teaching on it. It's like, okay. But, but the whole thing was if you want to come to God, you've got to stop doing this and you've got to start doing that. And obviously most high schoolers were going, well, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, guess what? I'm not doing that. So there's this lens of legalism that we hear these words, and when, when, when in those frameworks, when we heard deny yourself, we thought that meant give up, you know, rock and roll. And then you have, I don't know if you know this, but they used to have, um, you know, vinyls? Okay, we used to call them LPs, long playing records, or records is what they were actually called. Now they're called vinyls, because apparently it's cooler. Okay, but people would bring their vinyls, and they would like break them in church. Okay, like thousands of rands worth of music, they would break them, because this was the lens through which you did this stuff. Okay, it's like deleting your whole iTunes library. That's kind of what it was like. Okay, and closing down your Apple Music subscription or whatever, what's Google Play, eh? all those subscriptions like that. So we have this lens of legalism which can influence how we hear these words. The other lens that we can hear these words through is by the lens of grace or walking in grace. This starts in the, almost the opposite place. This starts in the place with that I'm loved and accepted by God more than I can imagine more than I can know. And because I'm loved, and because I'm a son and a daughter of God, that defines who I am. That gives me my primary values, not derived from things external to myself and the things I do right and the things I do wrong and how disciplined I can be. My values derived, my identity is because I am loved. No one is better or worse. No one is first class or second class because I'm made in the image of God and I'm loved. Beyond what I can imagine. 
And because I'm a son and a daughter, God will provide for me that which I need. My provision comes out of who I am. It comes from a space of being a son and a daughter. There's certain spaces in churches, I'm going to digress a little bit, um, where there's a big emphasis on if you do the right things, then God will provide for you. It's not about what you do. It's about being a son and responding to what God's doing in your life. And we'll talk a little bit about that. God provides for me because of I'm a son and a daughter. And then I do those good works that God prepared in advance for me to do. Then I achieve. If you don't like the word achievement, you can use the word fruitful. I'm fruitful then because of who I am, because I'm loved, not because I'm trying to achieve something or attain something or win brownie points with God. And so as Jesus comes to us tonight and he says, deny yourself, I really believe it's important that we hear it with the ears of grace, if I may appropriate the term. That we hear it with the ears of grace. That when we read it, we read it through the lens of grace. Jesus says in verse 34, first he calls the crowd, so it's not for the special group. And then he says the following words. He says, whoever wants to. There's invitation and there's desire. Jesus says, whoever. It's not for those who achieved a certain status. It's not for those who, in Jesus' day, had memorized the first five books of the Bible. It's not for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's for whoever. Whoever wants to. It's an open invitation. But there is one thing that's critical. You must want to. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow Jesus, it starts by identifying with him. If my lens is legalism, then my focus is on the externals. If my lens is grace, then it starts in my heart. Then it starts with who I am and who God's made me to be. And when I hear these words, I understand that this is grace that comes with responsibility. Because I'm a son and a daughter, I'm part of the family of God. And every family has a way that it works. And I want to be a father pleaser. I want to please God. I want to do what my father expects of me and wants me to do. Because I'm loved. Because I am a son. Because you are a daughter. I can't be a daughter. Okay. I want to please God. I want to do what he says. And so my obedience comes from a place of belonging and not a place of earning. Whoever wants to. I want to be a son. It's not hard. It's a desire. It's difficult. It's, it's, not, it's not difficult. It's something I want to do. I want to be a son. And in that space, Jesus then says, you need to deny yourself. Now, please note, you deny yourself, not just for the sake of denial, and we'll talk about that shortly, but you deny yourself, you then take up your cross, and then you follow him. And so fortunately, it falls to somebody else in the next few weeks to talk about taking up your cross, but I got the great topic of deny yourself. Okay, so what does this mean? What does this point to, this, this concept of denial? It's a very strong word, not very strong. It's as strong as it could be in the Greek. This isn't like a soft, you know, control. You know, when you, when, when you have to diet, I would never know. That, that I, okay. okay, maybe I mustn't. Okay, when you have to die, you know, sometimes they say when you have to lose weight, hypothetically. No one in this room needs to do that at all. Not looking at anybody. Um, they tell you to, you know, control your portion sizes. It's all about portion sizes. I've even heard some people say, you can eat whatever you want, just eat the right portion size, which for sugar is nothing. But um, 
This word deny is not about portion size. This is not reduce the volume. The word deny means cut it out completely. Okay? And that's where this illustration breaks down because you can't cut out food completely. But it's not about reducing this portion size. It's about a complete renunciation. But it doesn't have a negative connotation. And the best way I can phrase it for you is when, when Jesus speaks about denial, I think what he's saying is, is you have to say no in order to say yes. There's certain things you have to say no to because you want to say yes to other things. If you want to be my disciple, then there's things you're going to have to say no to so that you can say yes to being a disciple, so that you can say yes to picking up your cross, so that you can say yes to following. So we Christian denial, if I may use that term, is about saying no in order to say yes. Okay. It's not, this is not Buddhism. Anyone familiar with that? Okay. Okay. Buddhism is about the elimination of desire. It's about the elimination of things. And the more you can eliminate, the closer you are to your goal, actually. And I'm really oversimplifying it. But Christian denial isn't about abandoning. It's about saying no in order to say yes. As we were brainstorming these ideas, one of the guys in the team came out you know, with an analogy that perhaps is more helpful to, to understand this term deny. Many people these days have phones. If you have a phone that's associated with a certain fruit, one of the downsides that people often level crit unwarranted criticism at it for um, is that you can't put in like an external memory card. The memory size is fixed. So then what often happens to users of such products, and maybe it happens with other phone devices too. Um, I'm convinced, for example, my wife, she loves taking photos. There's not a phone being built that can hold the capacity that she needs because of the, the, the volume of um, visual material, uh, photos and things that she takes. Irrespective of brand and stuff. Sometimes the device gets full and then there's this new app that comes out that you just have to have. Hey? And, but now you can't download the app because your storage is full. It's a great message. Your storage is full. And so what do you have to do then? You have to delete things so that you can download the app and get what you want. Now, that sounds like saying no in order to say yes, but the word deny isn't that. It's not about making space in your life so that you can fit Jesus in. That's not what deny means. Deny yourself doesn't mean, okay, stop you know, clubbing on a Friday and a Saturday night so that you can be awake on a Sunday to go to church. That's not, that's not about taking certain things out so that you can add Jesus to your life. This word deny is about format or whatever, delete the whole thing, reset it, and load a different operating system. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. It's like you need to reboot, but you can't even run on the old iOS or what's it, Android, eh? Or you can't run on the old thing. It's a whole new way of living. You have to decide when you deny yourself, you're going to completely reorientate your life. Now, that's a process. That can be a process that God takes us through. So deny is about erasing the whole system, taking the apps off, and then putting those things in and on which Jesus wants. One of the, the commentators that I referenced in this, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but he said this word deny is about changing the center of gravity in your life. You know sometimes when you look in space that, and they see that the light and the stars are all kind of pulled in a direction? And then they might say, for example, that there's a black hole there because the gravity is just pulling everything.
towards it. And this is also a helpful picture. What, is, what are the things in your life being pulled towards? Where's the gravity? Is it being pulled towards your ideas and your ambitions and your self-fulfillment? Or is it being pulled to this idea of recklessly abandoning yourself to Jesus? Jesus said, abandon yourself to me. Deny yourself. Let the center, let the gravity in your life pull everything in your life, others around you, to this idea that we're living recklessly for the will of God. So I know this is a little bit about splitting hairs and, and being funny with words maybe, but often we invite people to let Jesus come into their lives. I don't know if you've heard those altar calls, they're good, and, and I've made them like that too, that's not bad. But we say to people, don't you want to invite Jesus into your life? The challenge with that conceptually, as I've now engaged to the scripture, I'm not sure I'll, I'll, I'll probably use that phrase in an altar call again, but it's we're saying to people, you've got your life and you're making Jesus part of it. But I think what Jesus actually is saying is give your life to me. You don't add me to your life, you give your life to me. That's the concept. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So how do we do this? How do we deny ourselves? And not in the frame of a legalistic thing. So to, to sit and make a list now of all the things you need to stop doing so that maybe Jesus will be happy that you've denied yourself enough. What, what do we do? How do we do this in a space of grace with responsibility? Because you see, grace doesn't mean anything goes. Obviously, Jesus says deny yourself because grace has responsibility. Grace has implications. We're not talking about what theologians refer to as hyper-grace, where it's, there's not a, uh, an appropriate tension of truth that holds the things. And I want to suggest the following to you tonight. It's about responding to what God is already doing. It's about responding to what God is already doing. In each of our lives, no matter where you are tonight on your journey with God, maybe you know Him well, maybe you're kind of trying to decide if you want to know Him well at all, and probably not helping you too much at the moment, but maybe I can. No matter where you are on your journey with God, He's doing something in your life already. And maybe that's not so easy to see, and that's why it's good to live and have Christian friends and to be engaged in Christian community, because then others can see, but, but I think this is where God's at. This is what he's putting his finger on in your life. Perhaps another way to ask the same question is, what is God blessing in your life? Where do you feel peace? Where is there a flow that things are working well? And even if you really identified with the songs tonight, where you're in your, the valley of the shadow of death, it really is true that he will never let you go. It's true beyond how you feel. It's true beyond mental assent. It's true like it aligns with the very fabric and reality of the universe. True. That he will never let you go, which means he is doing something in your life, even if it is just holding you. And so when we start approaching this concept of deny yourself, the place to start is, God, what are you doing in my life? And how do I respond to that? God initiates and we respond. So if we run around and we try and deny ourselves by comparing ourselves to others and looking what everybody else is doing, we're probably just going to end up very tired and very worn out and very legalistic, hating rock music. 
But if we can identify, God, what are you blessing in my life? What are you doing in my life? And how do I respond to that? So here's an example. A couple, I think it's months ago now, I felt a drawing on the inside, in my spirit, if you will, to more prayer. But not prayer like intercessory prayer, prayer like engaging with God. And as I was preparing the sermon, I actually realized I didn't respond all that well or as well as I should have. But I really did try and make spaces in my day where I was more conscious of God. To respond to that drawing of God, to respond to what God was initiating, what had to happen? I had to say no to certain things in order to say yes to what God was doing. I had to say no to completely filling my calendar back to back. Sorry, that's my sign language for back to back. Okay. I had to completely stop filling my calendar back to back so that there could be spaces in my day where I could just connect with him. I had to say no in order to say yes. And so whatever God is doing in your life, wherever you see that God is blessing and initiating, maybe it's he's just saying it's time for family or it's time for this relationship or it's time to get into the word. To respond to what he's doing, you're going to have to say no in order to say yes. And so I wonder what God is saying to you. Let's go back to where we started. If Jesus came to you and he looked you in the eye and he said, with all the love, with all the grace, with all the compassion, deny yourself tonight. And we understand then that it's not a call to legalism. It's not a call to performance. You're already a son you're already a daughter. You're already loved. You're already accepted. And then he comes and he says to you, deny yourself. The response is, yes, Father. Where must I say no so that I can say yes? And I suspect for each person in the room, it will be a little bit different what God is doing, what God has initiated in your life. And so I'd like to make a time now where we can pray. But I really felt as I was preparing for today, that this is not about the externals, okay? That's not where this journey starts. This is not about saying no to, okay, let me get a, the right audience here. This is not about saying no to the second holiday home. This is not about saying no to buying a car. This is not about saying no to that extra pair of shoes that, you know, was crafted before the foundations of the earth and you saw it in the window and you had to buy it. This is not about those externals. Tonight, as we start this journey, because we're going to spend a couple of weeks in, in this passage, the next three or four weeks, probably going to spend around this passage. Tonight is about saying, in my heart, in this place of grace, because grace starts from the heart. It doesn't start on the outside, it starts on the inside. In this place of grace, what can I abandon my life to more? How can I, sorry, let me phrase it better. How can I abandon my life to God more? Because I think that's what God wants for us tonight. He's saying, in your heart, can you come to this place where it's not just about what you want? It's not about the life you've imagined. The, the, better, the best life you can possibly imagine, God's got a better one. And maybe that means you have less stuff, but you have more peace. Maybe that means you have less stuff, but you've got better relationships. Maybe that means you don't have the corner office ultimately in your life, but you've got rich friendships you've made a difference in your community. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in abundance, not life in material excess. If 
I may say. An abundant life isn't necessarily a life that's materialistic. Some of the poorest people, let me say this, one of the things you must understand when Jesus spoke these words, probably the majority, as, as best as scholars can understand it today, the majority of people in the crowd, the crowd that he calls to him, would have been living on the breadline or just above it or just under it. Palestine in the first century world was a poor province. He didn't say this to the successful. This isn't a call. This isn't about socioeconomic status. This isn't about gender. It's none of those things. What is God doing in your life and how can you respond to him? Because I believe tonight in your heart, God wants you to change the center of gravity and say more, Lord, of you. More, I want to abandon myself to you because you are an extraordinary king. You're an extraordinary father and you love me beyond what I can imagine. And because of that, I'm going to be so happy to deny myself. And so yeah, denial, instead of becoming a, a place of lack and cutting out, it becomes a place of freedom. Because I'm loved, I'm free to go, I don't need that in my life because I'm saying no to this so that I can say yes to that. I don't hold on to anything. It's easy to say no because I'm loved. It's easy to say no because I'm, well, easier because I am accepted. Can I invite you to stand and let's pray. Father, you know each one in this room. And you know the journey of our hearts. You know the lenses through which we walk through life. You know how we journey our Christian walk. And you also know what you're doing in each one's life. And therefore my prayer tonight, Lord, is that you give us the courage and the grace and that empowering by your Spirit that only you can give to help us say no to the things we need to so that we can say yes to you. Tonight, Lord, in our hearts, we forget about the peripherals, we forget about the externals, and we say yes to you. We say yes to more of you, yes to more of what you want and not what we want. I believe there's maybe some folks here tonight to you. You're imagining your life. You're imagining what it's going to be like, where you're going to go. And I believe God's got something better for you. And it seems impossible to you to say no to this because it's just lined up. You've just got that job. You've just got that promotion. You're just about to get that qualification. But God has got something better for you to say yes to. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I had a picture. I'd imagined what my life would look like. And as anyone who's lived a little bit beyond their 20s will tell you, is that life never works out like that picture you have. But because I followed God, because I said yes to Him and no to a career, no to studying engineering and yes to studying theology and things like that, the life I have is more abundant than the life I could have imagined. Because Jesus said, I've come that you can have life in abundance. So if you follow Jesus, he will take you beyond where you could ever have imagined yourself. And it will mean that you might need to say no to certain things on the journey. 
but it's about saying yes to him. And yes to God is always better than no to anything else you could possibly imagine. So Lord, you know our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for each person as they journey this week, as they're challenged, I guess, to respond to this word, that you would help them want to want to say yes. That from our spirits and in our hearts there would emerge this cry of, I'm saying yes to you, Lord. I'm saying yes to you. And this is my prayer for each one in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.